Welcome to Treasure Valley Podcast, a Lower Gentry Studios production. I'm your host, Chuck O'Noctane. This episode is sponsored by the web series Canyon County. After a personal tragedy, a social worker navigates the stresses of a mental health care career. Battling her supervisor and her own stubbornness, she tries to help a high school student become a functioning member of society. Canyon County is streaming free on YouTube. It's hosted on Lower Gentry's channel. If you live in Nampa or Caldwell, you'll recognize a lot of the locations used. I highly recommend that you watch if you're in the mental health field because you'll be able to relate to the situations shown in each episode. If you aren't in the mental health field and think you want to give it a go, you should also watch Canyon County because helping people is not all sunshine and rainbows. Wow, our country has really scraped the bottom of the barrel for presidential candidates. And guess what? As bad as it seems now, I'm betting in four years, even more wretched candidates will receive their party's nomination. Why do I believe we will see even worse presidents in the future? Well, it has to do with a branch of economics known as game theory, and a specific conundrum within game theory known as the prisoner's dilemma. I will explain those briefly in a moment, but let me first expand upon why I love economics. When I think of economics, I don't only think of the production, consumption, and distribution of goods and services. I believe the study and principles of economics dig a lot deeper. When I think of economics, I think of ecology. If an alien spacecraft visited our planet, well, maybe one has and decided not to stay, but any foreign consciousness to visit our planet would notice the structures and goings-on of the beings that dominated the Earth's surface, humans. The observations from the outside looking in would initially be biological in nature. Aliens would notice these planet-dominating creatures are highly specialized in their productivity and use a representative system of exchange to acquire items produced outside of their individual skill sets. Their environment has been modified on the macro scale via small, specific contributions on the individual level allowed by a system of interaction that permits exchange. When you think about it that way, economics is just a metaform of ecology. We're studying our own interactions with our environment and other biological creatures. Humans just happen to put a monetary amount on various items so we know what our efforts can get us. I enjoy delving into books about economics from time to time. They're a nice complement to psychological studies. This summer, I happened to download a book about game theory that popped up as suggested on my Kindle. The book was a quick read, Introducing Game Theory, a graphic guide. I love pictures. But I did find it enormously informative, sort of a view of game theory at 10,000 feet. It sent me down a rabbit hole of subsequent reading and YouTube videos in an attempt to better understand a variety of oddities I observe in people and society. Let me explain game theory quickly. According to Wikipedia, game theory is the study of mathematical models of strategic interaction among rational decision makers. It has applications in all fields of social science as well as in logic, system science, and computer science. I like to think of game theory as a way of predicting what people will do when you assume people are rational and you know what incentives individuals will receive as a result of the decisions that they make. To give you an example of game theory in action, let me explain the prisoner's dilemma. Again, from Wikipedia, it was originally framed by Merrill Flood and Melvin Drescher while working at RAND Corporation in 1950. RAND was looking to apply game theory to possible global nuclear strategies. Well, this game predicted nuclear arms stockpiling. After the initial framing, Albert W. Tucker formalized the game with prison sentence rewards and named it Prisoner's Dilemma, presenting it as follows. Two members of a criminal gang are arrested and imprisoned. Each prisoner is in solitary confinement with no means of communicating with the other. The prosecutors lack sufficient evidence to convict the pair on the principal charge, but they have enough to convict both on a lesser charge. Simultaneously, the prosecutors offer each prisoner a bargain. Each prisoner is given the opportunity either to betray the other by testifying that the other committed the crime or to cooperate with the other by remaining silent. The possible outcomes are if they both betray each other, each of them serves two years in prison. If one betrays and the other remains silent, The betrayer will be set free, and the silent trusting prisoner will receive a three-year sentence. 
If they both remain silent, both of them will serve only one year in prison on the lesser charge. In this dilemma, it's beneficial for both prisoners to remain silent to ensure they only get the one year in prison. However, the only rational choice for both prisoners is to rat. Because if you individually betray your accomplice, those are the best possible outcomes in your situation. Your choices are to remain silent and serve one or three years, or you can accuse your partner and get off or serve two. If you can both keep your mouth shut, overall you would do better. But in your own self-interest, the betrayal has the best possible outcome. Hopefully that all sounds a little clearer than the poison scene from The Princess Bride. Fortunately, a majority of the human population doesn't usually behave in a way that's detrimental to all parties involved due to selfishness. However, the prisoner's dilemma can be quantified in another way that shows we might find ourselves in situations and unwittingly move ourselves into a position of loss and an ultimate race to the bottom. I've mentioned before in this podcast that I'm a teacher here in Idaho. One of the incentives I use in my classroom is play money. I pay students from my Monopoly cash stash whenever they complete extra work or help me in the classroom. At the end of the week, in order to give the money value, I auction off various donated items. One week, I wanted to attempt a variation of the prisoner's dilemma that I read about to teach a lesson in real time. I decided to auction off a $100 Monopoly bill. My students were excited about the prospect of getting a discount on the larger value bill. Then I told them that I would not only take the top bidder's bid, but also the second highest bidder's bid. This information was not initially important to all the students. As the auction progressed, I moved to $1 increments at $90. The kids started to understand what was going on at this juncture. When the bid reached $99, the second bidder had the choice of breaking even by bidding $100 or losing $98. Rationally, you might as well bid $100. Then the new second place bid had the option of losing $99 or just $1. So he bid $101. The top two bidders continued to bid up the price of the $100 bill to minimize their loss. Eventually, one of the students backed out. He paid $156 for nothing, and the winning bidder paid $157 for a $100 bill. The auctioneer won, and the two top bidders were damaged for their participation. The most hilarious example of the prisoner's dilemma comes from popular culture. If you didn't watch MTV in the 2010s and are unfamiliar with the train wreck of a reality show, The Jersey Shore, the idea behind the show was to film a cohort of party animals with northeastern accents and cherry-pick every embarrassing drunken decision for national viewers' pleasure. One of the personalities on that show, Snooki, was notoriously whimsical. Early in the show, she was never seen without her coach handbag, a cherished item that she apparently purchased prior to reaching fame. Suddenly, her style changed and she was carrying around a Gucci bag. Entertainment gossip reporter Simon Doonan from The Observer claimed that the Gucci bag didn't come from Gucci. It came from Coach. Apparently, the upscale brand did not want to be associated with MTV's attempt to document the early lives of future Jerry Springer guests. Well, Gucci was not pleased with this transition, so they returned the favor with an even pricier Coach purse. Supposedly, the two companies continued to dump money in the form of their competitors' products on Snooki's doorstep. Neither party wanting to back down and leave Snooki carrying their handbag on film, three sheets to the wind, being involuntarily pulled from a noisy club at 2 a.m. and placed in the back of a police cruiser. Coach and Gucci engaged in a tit-for-tat style prisoner's dilemma. The winner? Snooki. The losers? Two elite fashion brands. I like to think that story is true, but I was unable to reach Snooki for comment. The point is, these prisoner dilemma type situations are expensive and rarely beneficial. But how does the prisoner's dilemma apply to politics? Well, this is my thought. Here is a simple hypothetical. Imagine I'm running for mayor of Fancytown. 
Let's also pretend that Fancy Town has a police force that needs to replace a majority of its fleet of service vehicles and that the citizens of Fancy Town are in favor of the police keeping their funding. Anyway, I'm looking for funding to get myself elected and decide to simultaneously reach out to representatives from Ford and Dodge, hinting that a contribution to my campaign may help me make the right decision on which brand of vehicles to purchase if I'm elected. After seeing a sizable contribution from Ford and a dismal contribution from Dodge, I call up the Dodge representative and let him know that I'm really not sure about the quality of their vehicles and whether or not they will be the best choice for the police officers in Fancy Town. I just need a bit more convincing to know that the new Dodge Challenger is reliable enough and safe enough for my officers. As soon as I receive a second, more sizable contribution from Dodge, or more likely my pack receives that contribution, I'm dialing or my pack is dialing Ford's number. Now, unfortunately, I have no idea if the mayor of Fancytown actually behaves in such a slimy and ignoble fashion, but I do know that fundraising is a key concern for all candidates in political races. With more money in campaign coffers, the more a politician can spend on advertising, thus the more likely that candidate will win. Now, the reason for the money here is the attention, so I would retroactively predict that a candidate that is better able to garner media attention on his or her own would need to spend less money on media and publicity. You can look at previous elections, fundraising, and spending data and see if you agree with my analysis. But anyway, the two major parties are currently, and have been for a long while, in a battle to raise the most money to win the most elections. Where does that leave the concerns of the small dollar contributors, voters, and simply the majority of the U.S. population? Out of the conversation regarding laws that our government implements. Our country is supposed to be a representative democracy, but those representatives we elect tend to voice the concerns of our country's wealthy citizens. An oligarchy is defined as an organization that is controlled by a small group of people. A study by Princeton University back in 2014 found that the United States is actually closer to an oligarchy than a democracy. How did they come to this conclusion? Well, the best predictor of U.S. policy is the opinion of those in the upper 10% of the income bracket. Overall, public opinion was not correlated with U.S. policy. I attribute the centralization of power to the Republican and Democratic parties partaking in the prisoner's dilemma while putting voters in a prisoner's dilemma of our own. The game each party is playing is to win elections. To do so, they need money and media attention. They will gain that at the cost of the best interests of the common American. In the meantime, as the Republicans and Democrats continue to make concessions on behalf of the majority of the public, they openly place the voters in the predicament of choosing the least worst option. I mean, without a viable third party, each candidate only needs to be slightly better than the other. Most of us buy into the sales pitch while we fondly recollect better candidates from both parties in elections past. And with each election cycle, the two-party system whittles away just a little bit more of our representative democracy and places the shavings into the ever-growing pile of the oligarchs. That outlook is pretty gloomy, but there are possible solutions to fix the game and place the power back in the hands of the majority of the citizens in our country. Andrew Yang has a good one. He advocates giving every U.S. citizen a voting age $100 per year specifically for campaign contributions. His idea is basically to flood out the private dollars. I like the idea of leaning into the economics of elections. Money does equal power. Let's flex that financial muscle. However, that'll be tough legislation to pass with our Congress and Senate listening to the hushed whispers of their powerful contributors. The best option I see is to ignore the options presented and vote for a third party. It may feel like a hard thing to do, unless you live in Maine, where they have ranked choice voting. That is, you can put your third party candidate as your first option, then your preferred crappy candidate as your second option, and that second choice can be counted if your first choice doesn't win. If you live outside of Maine, you may be thinking, sure, 
our country would likely be much better off if we all voted for third-party candidates who owed the voters a favor rather than the Fortune 500. But if not enough people vote for that third party, then my vote will essentially not count. And if the candidate I hate the most gets elected, I will wish I would have voted for the other piece of crap, the lesser of the two crap piles. Unfortunately, that line of thinking perpetuates the cycle and starts another round of the prisoner's dilemma. We keep raising the bid higher and higher. That's how I think about it anyway. So for those of you out there that decide to vote for Kanye West in 2020, God bless you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the light. Thank you for listening this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends, family, and anyone else open to your pestering. Podcasts grow by word of mouth, which was crazy for me to learn. That's probably why podcasts are still so eclectic. Let's enjoy it until some prisoner's dilemma situation attacks this industry too.